Hola, buenas tardes. In mid-October in East Yakima, Washington, when the summer heat had simmered down and November's general election was heating up, Dulce Gutierrez was knocking on a lot of doors. Dulce, a former Yakima City Council member, was running as a Democrat for Yakima County Commissioner District 2. Yeah, as the candidate, I, uh, there's a, you know, a lot more questions directed for me specifically, so I take a little bit more time at every door than the, than the volunteer would, or a volunteer for the campaign would. So, you know, making, and yeah, the election is over now, and as happens so often with elections, what came before feels like ancient history. Uh, that, of course, depends on just how big the red wave is. But we're returning to this scene because there's something important here that will be part of an ongoing debate well into the future. Latino voters are one of the biggest and fastest... Before the election, there was a lot of local and national consternation over the power and potential rightward swing of the quote-unquote Latino vote. A nationwide survey of Latino voters showing support for a Republican-controlled Congress jumped five points. After Democrats ended up doing a lot better than expected, most of that just dwindled away. But these Latino voters who political campaigns and the media were obsessing over... They didn't just disappear after the ballots were counted. So hang with us for a bit as we get to know Dulce and the voters she talked to before the election. Let me just get myself situated here so that we're going to a house. I like to start off at the end of a block and work my way over. Door knocking has always been a big part of Dulce's campaigns especially on Yakima's east side, which is home to the majority of the city's Hispanic and Latino communities. And unlike a lot of the region's political candidates in the past, this neighborhood is where Dulce grew up, too. This is a neighborhood I, I grew up in. This is my child neighborhood. This is the elementary school I went to here. And uh, my family still lives here, my aunts, uncles, my mom. This is the neighborhood they're all still in now. The schoolmates I had as a kid, their parents still live here. Since we were young, with my mom, when she started to vote, we would go with her and translate the questions on the ballot. So my mom didn't just teach me the importance of voting, but we actually would vote with her. And she would Dulce now works for the Washington State Labor Council, helping legal permanent residents become U.S. citizens. She served on the Yakima City Council from 2015 to 2019 and was also assistant mayor for two years of that time. She told Crosscut staff reporter Mai Huang that she got back in the ring for a county commissioner seat this year as a way to try and shake up the status quo of political power in the region. This year I decided to run for office again because I am very aware, keenly aware, of how the county is failing our community. They really only care about sustaining the status quo and about pushing the Republican politics at the county level. You know, making it a point to answer questions is really a priority when I'm doorbelling. And then also folks, you know, sometimes have questions around how to vote or how to update their voter registration, um, when their ballot will arrive, what the ballot looks like. So that's why I carry a ballot with me at all times. There were a couple dozen campaign volunteers who gathered in Yakima's Franklin Park on that October Saturday, also getting ready to hand out flyers and knock on doors. Claro que sí, nosotros ahorita en esta ocasión estamos apoyando a la señora Dulce. We are here right now in the support or supporting Dulce. 
Lucia Apodaca, for instance, a professional home care worker and member of SEIU 775. She's supporting us, and we're going to support her with our vote. So Mai tagged along with Dulce and her supporters for hours that day to see how things went, to see how Dulce's message and approach was sitting with voters. What do you think is key to getting more Latino voters to come out for this election? We need to talk to the community a little bit more about her, and they need to know her a little bit more. That's how we can get the Latin vote. And Latinos are very anxious to have somebody like her that supports us in everything that we need. Voter turnout is always key in any race. But it seems to have been especially key in this race, among this group of voters. If this community turned out for Dulce, it could make all the difference. And at the time Mai was out canvassing with Dulce and her supporters, turnout wasn't looking great. Data from Yakima County shows that turnout has been relatively low among this group of voters in all elections, but especially in midterm elections. And according to Yakima County elections data from the primary in August, just 12 percent of registered voters with Hispanic surnames returned their ballots. I'm curious of if you've had like conversations with people in your community about the importance of local races, given that Latinos, as you know, in general, don't turn out as much for non-presidential elections. Well, it's funny that you mentioned that because that's exactly what I tell them when I go to their door. <laughs> Nikki Torres is both Republican and Latina, and she grew up in Pasco, Washington, a slightly smaller city to Yakima's southeast. Nikki ran a successful campaign this election for state Senate in the 15th Legislative District, a district whose boundaries are, in fact, currently tangled up in a voting rights lawsuit. More on that in a bit. Anyway, Nikki says her work, she found, as she rang doorbells over those last weeks, was also to remind people to vote. I go, have you voted? They're like, no. Okay, um, do you, when do you vote? When do you typically vote? Do you vote a couple of days before? And they're like, well, yeah, I'll see if I can fill it out this weekend. And I'm like, okay, I go, because you know, as Latinos, we have a really bad, bad reputation of turning in our ballots or even voting. And they're like, yeah. And I'm like, yeah. And these are the most important races. The local races are the most important ones. And I always try to educate them on that because they don't realize that. They only think about what's really pressed in the media, which is the national politics and presidential races. Turnout, of course, has nothing to do with heritage. There are complex systemic factors that contribute to these kinds of numbers. For example, the east and west sides of the city of Yakima have long been, and are to this day, very different places, with very different levels of income and different demographics. I want to say that first and foremost, uh, Latinos, uh, uh, a low Latino voter turnout is not unique just to the Latino community, nor is it unique, the low turnout is not unique to the city of Yakima. Anywhere across the country where you have highly impoverished communities who have low education rates, voter turnout is extraordinarily low. And that's what we face here in Yakima. We have a highly impoverished and low educated uh, community that lives on the east side. And now due to, you know, redlining and, you know, racially uh, motivated uh, real estate and realtor practices, we're also a hyper-segregated community. It is difficult to, to mobilize the community into understanding the ins and outs of an election and also catching people while they're at home. 
because the work hours are extremely different um, in the Latino side of town and people are working day in and day out in extremely long hours. Gabriela Aro, for instance, she happened to be at home when Dulce knocked, but she hadn't really been thinking about the election that much. Life's responsibilities were getting in the way. When was the last time you voted in the election? I do not remember, but I have voted before. And what makes you decide whether to vote in an election or not to vote in an election? Sometimes I just don't have time to do it. Because I get home late from work or sometimes I do other things and I forget. Was she aware of that there was an election coming up? No, no sabía. No, I did not know. I think I had gotten like some election, like the pamphlet thing, and then I just kind of like just put it on the table. Melchizedek Lombera, another voter who answered the door when Dulce knocked, is a cardiac nurse who grew up in Yakima, went away for school, and recently came back. The election, for a little while at least, was kind of an afterthought. Not really, to be honest. Just like having barely moved back here, I just have been more focused on like getting comfortable here, and I hadn't really like really been aware of it and then uh, but it seems like there was something in Dulce's pitch that stuck with him her coming here having conversation with me uh, explaining uh, like the things that she stood for and everything that she was trying to do definitely like just gave me more like a motivation to be like oh like again like I need to vote like I need to like get people of color and vote for the people that are going to like make a difference for like the communities that we live in especially in this community which is like a, a majority like latino minority community is like and like an impoverished one where you don't really see a lot of changes you know you don't really see the 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 city or the county like putting money into this neighborhood you know versus like now it's like well if you want me to vote you better take care of some issues so susan sanchez was a little more skeptical yeah. So when you say you're not going to vote, do you mean like not vote at all or do you mean not vote for oh, her? For her, if she doesn't take care of the problems around the neighborhood. If she's coming around the neighborhood, then I want issues addressed. You know, I want it to be a safe neighborhood and I want... Decades of disinvestment in East Yakima, which is something that Melchizedek noticed too, made Susan skeptical, it seems of all politicians, regardless of party, regardless of identity. There's that age-old question that was hanging in the balance in this election, as in all elections. What have my elected leaders done for me lately? And how Latino voters answered that question at the neighborhood level, but also at the state and national level, that, we were told, could change everything. Some polls have Hispanics basically just tied between Republicans and Democrats. If you ask Dulce, the traditionally Republican political leadership in central Washington, at least, does not support the interests of the Latino electorate. There is one party that has been in rule in our region, which is the Republican Party, for many, many, many years, longer than my lifetime, and I'm 33. And they have allowed for there to be tons of harmful policies to impact the Latino community. So naturally, the public, especially the Latino public, is going to look for alternative leadership. And we can't guarantee that that'll be the Democratic Party to step up and do all the right things. But what we do know and have evidence of is that the Republican Party won't do the right thing for us. Of course, that's not what you'll hear from those in politics who are both Latino and Republican. Mickey Torres, for instance. Traditionally, our values are more Republican or more conservative, I should say. Um, we're very faith-oriented, family-oriented, and 
hard work and country. So I think those values have always aligned with Latinos. And that's why the conservative party or Republican party is what aligns. But for the most part, that's what I found, especially with um, when I've been door knocking and speaking with people in the community. It's kind of what I've seen and, and heard from them. So who knows? Dulce, for her part, didn't think the odds were in her favor. I am considered the underdog in this race, even even though I'm a prior elected official and even served in the dual role of assistant mayor for the entire city of Yakima. And so to still be considered the underdog is, you know, uh, quite the feeling. But she made a prediction anyway. But I will say that um, it's a challenge that I've already overcome in the past. Um, I'm confident that... Uh, I am going to close the margin between me and my opponent, and it'll just be up to the voters to see if I can actually get the majority of votes. I'm Sarah Bernard, and this is Crosscut Reports. This is the second episode in a series about the fight for the Latino vote in the Yakima Valley. Yes, you are hearing this after the general election. So the results are in, and what happened in Dulce Gutierrez's race is now known. We'll get to that, along with the questions her candidacy raises about political representation, participation, and power. But first, we're going to take a look at the November results and try to understand what happened among Latino voters. We'll dig into a battle that started long before this election and is still ongoing. And then we'll zero back in on Jordan Chavez, the 18-year-old first-time voter you met in the last episode. We'll ask how he voted in the end and how he's feeling about the results. Stay with us. So nationally, as you've probably heard quite a lot by now, the 2022 midterm election was kind of a big surprise. There it is. That's the check mark. Democrats now have control of the United States Senate. It was significantly worse for Republicans and better for Democrats than everyone expected. But it appears neither Republican hopes for sweeping victories nor Democrats' fears of crushing defeats were realized. And there's been a similar story going on in Washington state. For instance, U.S. Senator Patty Murray, the Democratic incumbent, won re-election easily in the end. Team five now calling the U.S. Senate race for Patty Murray. Despite what appeared to be a late surge from her Republican opponent, Tiffany Smiley. And Democratic candidates won both of the congressional races that were considered toss-ups. That's the congresswoman-elect, Murray Glusenkamp Perez, from Washington's 3rd Congressional District. Republicans did end up taking control of the House of Representatives, but they didn't get any help from voters in Washington's 3rd or 8th congressional districts. I do think a lot of Democrats kind of breathed a sigh of relief on Tuesday. Uh, the result, frankly, was almost a politically neutral year which in a midterm year with the president as unpopular as he is and the economy is, as tenuous as it is, is a, a pretty strong result, actually, for the incumbent party. Ben Anderstone is a political consultant in the region who does a lot of number crunching, usually for Democrats. I'm a political consultant with progressive strategies Northwest. I work on candidate and ballot measure campaigns, uh, largely progressive and Democratic causes uh, around the Puget Sound and and region and kind of my, my focal area within campaigns is probably data stuff and uh, voter demographics and voter behavior and stuff like that. So yeah, Ben spends a lot of time with political data, which means he spends a lot of time going through precinct level voter data, cross-referencing that with census data, doing some extra math to make predictions and so on. 
And some of that focus has been on the Latino or Hispanic vote. Very much uh, his, the Hispanic vote and the Asian vote have been a big topic of conversation in a lot of like the text chains I've been having with other data people recently. So what role did the Latino vote play in all of the left-leaning results we're seeing in Washington? A role, for sure. But as these things tend to go, it's complex. In central Washington, where several counties are majority Hispanic or Latino, it's worth noting that Democrats did not do well. And as Ben points out, some of that outcome is likely to have come from these voters. So there there are some variables that we're going to have to look at, but I do think... There's some early signs in Washington that both the Latino and Asian-American vote probably did uh, progress toward swinging a bit toward the Republicans, yes. With some caveats, including that as of recording time, we still didn't have precinct-level voting stats, Ben explained that the swing was pretty dramatic. For instance, in the last midterm election in 2018, when Democratic Senator Maria Cantwell was on the ballot, Cantwell lost in Yakima County, but just by 16 points. Patty Murray is currently behind by 30. So that's a 14-point swing, even though uh, the candidates are doing very comparably to each other statewide. In Adams County, which is Othello, uh, we saw a swing from Republican by 35 to Republican by 55 in the results. And in Franklin County, Pasco, we saw a swing from Republican by 20 to Tiffany Smiley leading early ballots by 39. Yeah, those are some big swings for the Republican Party. I mean, For yeah. sure. And there's still some questions about how much of that was turnout, but um, my, my strong guess is not all of it. Turnout was low in both the primary and the general, and among Hispanic and Latino voters. But... But when we're looking at swings of between 14 and 20 points in counties where, you know, the Latino vote does not make up a high enough percentage of the vote to simply have a turnout difference accounting for that swing. I think it's pretty obvious that there's probably some Latinos who ended up voting Republican this year. You'll find a murky yet similar picture if you take a look at the impacts of Latino voters at the national level. Former Texas Representative Mayra Flores who made a lot of headlines for flipping her Hispanic majority district red. The Democrat Party walked away from the Hispanic community to cater to the far left. Lost to her opponent, Democratic Representative Vicente Gonzalez. And there were a number of outcomes like that around the country. But although the red wave didn't happen overall... I've heard it called, you know, the red sprinkler. I've heard it called the red splash, the red puddle. CNN exit polls nevertheless suggest that Republicans had their best year with Latino voters since 2004. How critical was the Latino vote when it comes to shifting Florida from purple to red. Critical. The Democratic lead among Latino and Hispanic voters has shrunk by almost half since the last midterm election. So speaking from the perspective of the Democratic Party, Ben Anderstone says there's work to do in central Washington. There are a lot of areas that have gotten bluer as the Hispanic population has grown, and this trend may be enough to totally you know, neutralize that. So as much as the demographics may be in the Democrats' favor in areas like Yakima, the, you know, the blueness of that vote matters, not just the size of that vote, but how folks within that community vote, because it's not, not uniform. And I think we should not be caught off guard there and rely on just demographic change. We need to persuade people. And as for Dulce Gutierrez... 
her campaign did not, in the end, persuade enough people. She lost her race. I'm grateful to each voter who participated in the elections, she wrote in a public post on Facebook. While the results were highly disappointing, there will be more opportunities to engage a diversified pool of qualified candidates in 2023 and 2024. Dulce was considered the underdog in her district. She said it herself. I am considered the underdog in this race. This loss could have been due in part to the strength and reach of her Republican opponent, Kyle Curtis. It could have been because of the low turnout overall or among Latino voters. Or it could have been related to some kind of swing to the right among Latino voters. Yakima County data from mid-November, for instance, suggests that just 26 percent of voters with Hispanic surnames returned their ballots in the general election. That's more than 12 percent, as it was in the primary, but still pretty low. Ben Anderstone says that Yakima County's District 2, where Dulce ran, should have been about a 50-50 split, Democrat-Republican, if you look at past data and do some modeling based on turnout and so on. That's not what happened. Turnout was low, yes. But also, Democrats just got clobbered. It's pretty hard to win a district without Patty Murray also winning it. You know, if Patty Murray loses a district, it's tough down ticket. Patty Murray did lose all of Yakima County by a lot, as Ben was saying. Tiffany Smiley won in a landslide, 65 to 35. And Dulce lost by a significant margin, too, 15 points, so 42 to 57. That margin, given Dulce's strength in that community, makes me think that Democrats just lost ground down ticket in that district, which again tells you that something probably happened with Latino vote there. We should note that Progressive Strategies Northwest, where Ben works, consulted for Dulce's campaign this election cycle. Anyway, Ben later followed up via email to let me know that the precinct-level data, when it did come in, deepened that narrative of a shift to the right. East Yakima, the part of Yakima with the highest percentage of Hispanic residents, saw a decrease in votes for both parties since the last midterm election, but a far bigger decrease in votes for the Democratic candidate for U.S. Senate at the time. It was a decrease of 9% versus 42%. A similar story happened in majority Hispanic Pasco and East Pasco, where Republican Nikki Torres is from. When it came to the Senate race, those precincts saw an 8% increase in the Republican vote versus a 46% decrease in the Democratic vote. Low voter turnout overall in East Washington had an effect, of course. But still, the numbers Ben Anderstone is looking at, he told me it's pretty suggestive of a Republican swing. So maybe in some small part due to that Republican swing, Democrat Dulce Gutierrez lost her race for a seat on the board of Yakima County Commissioners. But that loss doesn't mean her fight is over. As she wrote at the end of her post-election statement on Facebook, we are living in a historical chapter of institutional change in the Yakima Valley. And this campaign gave us reason to believe the best is yet to come. In fact, Dulce and her supporters have long been, and are still, fighting for the Latino vote, sometimes in a completely different arena, the courtroom. More on that after the break. Public safety, reproductive rights, the arts, education, election security. These are the issues at the heart of our civic life. And they're just a few of the topics up for discussion at Civic Cocktail, the monthly event series produced by Seattle City Club and Crosscut and broadcast on KCTS 9. 
For more than a decade, Civic Cocktail has been connecting community leaders from Seattle and the state of Washington to the public through lively conversations about the most important issues facing the region. And you can be a part of that conversation. Join host Monica Guzman as she sits down with the people who help shape our civic life and asks the questions that help build a greater understanding of this place we all call home. To see what we're talking about next, and to RSVP to the taping of the next episode, go to crosscut.com events. So Dulce launched her first political campaign for a seat on the Yakima City Council when she was just 25 years old. The timing was crucial and historic. Then I was encouraged to run for the Yakima City Council in 2015. I need a little bit more energy than that. How's everybody doing today? After the city uh, lost a uh, Voting Rights Act lawsuit by Latino residents in, in my area of town. Such an honor to be here today. These Latino residents, with the help of the ACLU, had filed and eventually won a lawsuit in 2014 that found that, quote, the non-Latino majority in Yakima routinely suffocates the voting preferences of the Latino community, which, then and now, represents nearly half of the city's population. So Yakima's local voting structure and boundaries were changed so that each neighborhood could elect its own candidate to the city council instead of every seat being an at-large seat, which tended to privilege white candidates again and again. We were being faulted as a Latino community for our own lack of representation based on two false narratives. One, that the majority of us were, in their words, illegal and not allowed to vote. Um, and the other, the other part of the Latino community just did not care to vote. And therefore, it was our own fault for uh, uh, not having any Latino representation. Um, that was extremely offensive, and it was an insult to our intelligence. Um, it was very obvious to our community that the people were clenching onto power in these seats. I'm running because I love my community, and my community deserves to be treated equally, just as equal as all the other districts in the city. Dulce's first thought at the time was to throw her hat in the ring as a supporter. She asked three local elders and business owners to run for city council in 2015. But, but surprisingly, they turned and encouraged me to be the candidate. And it worked. Dulce Gutierrez was one of three Latinas elected to Yakima City Council in 2015, the first elected Latina representatives ever. A surprise, maybe, given the size of Yakima's Hispanic electorate. And I have been knocking on people's doors day after day after day. And I took it very seriously, and I canvassed, I talked to neighbors, and in most cases, people had never spoken to a candidate ever in their lives. No one had ever doorbelled or, or door-knocked in their neighborhood, their house, or talked to them directly. And that might have had an impact on turnout. And my election was the first time ever uh, that we saw Latinos make up 50-plus percent of the actual turnout of the district. So even though we were a predominantly Latino neighborhood where anywhere between 8 or 9 of the 10, any 10 residents are Latino, um, Latino turnout of the total population never had surpassed 50 percent until 2015 when I ran, and I'm very proud of that statistic. But the lawsuit against the city of Yakima that was settled in 2014, the fight did not end there. 
A similar lawsuit was filed in 2020 against Yakima County with the help of the nonprofit organization One America. It also demanded district-based voting in order to level the playing field for the county's Hispanic community. And Dulce was one of the plaintiffs. And it was a year long of litigation, and the county um, settled with us as plaintiffs. They didn't get everything they wanted, but the main thing that they got was, again, district-based voting in the general election for the county commissioners. Reporter Mai Huang, who's lived in Yakima for about 15 years, explained all this to me. And a redrawing of those maps. So now you have a Latino majority district in District 3. You have kind of a swing district in District 2, which is mainly the city of Yakima and kind of the nearby area. And then you have kind of one like traditional district. So that was that was significant. In other words, this election, 2022, is the first time that Yakima County has ever had district-based voting in the general election. According to Dulce and other supporters of the lawsuit, this is the first time that the Latino community in the county has ever had a fighting chance of exercising its collective electoral power. And Dulce, if elected, would have been the first ever Latina to serve on the Board of Commissioners, which has largely been white, male, and conservative for the duration of its history. You know, that alone is a glass ceiling that others have attempted to shatter and and haven't. And, well, still haven't. But this debate over equitable access to political representation, it's not over. It's gone from the city to the county to the state level, where yet another similar lawsuit is still in play. Dulce Gutierrez is among the plaintiffs who, at the beginning of 2022, sued Washington State's redistricting commission over the recently redrawn 15th legislative district. A lawsuit was filed against three Washington state leaders for the new redistricting plan. The 15th is a semi-rural area that cuts into part of the city of Yakima and extends through a handful of smaller towns to the southeast. It's long been held by Republican senators. Still is. But its boundaries could shift depending on the outcome of the suit, which is supposed to be heard by a U.S. district court judge early next year. Plaintiffs allege that the recent redistricting process violated the Federal Voting Rights Act by creating a 15th district that denies Hispanic and Latino voters, quote, equal opportunity to elect their candidates of choice. The study shows this makes it difficult for Latino voters to elect candidates of their choice by diluting their votes. But it seems a lot of politicians are still asking themselves, who are these voters' candidates of choice? Is there one choice? And how much does a candidate's party determine the outcome? And what about their identity? These complicated questions are complicated further by a candidate like Nikki Torres, the Latina Republican, who will be representing the 15th in Olympia this winter. She says she did sometimes encounter skepticism when she knocked on doors in predominantly Latino neighborhoods and introduce herself as a Republican. And I found that a lot of them are kind of like, oh, and you're running as a Republican. And they're like, interesting, you know, so some of them that might, because a lot of them are more moderate. They're they're not really for a party to say, but um, even though their traditional values are more conservative, they may still be more moderate and, and not really voting by um, party, they might just be voting by issues. As a result, she says, she often would find common ground. So when I'm having that conversation with them, they're really excited to see a Latina. And then I explain to them, hey, you know, I, I'm not any different than you. I'm a first generation Latina. I worked in agriculture. I worked, I, we picked probably everything that you can find around here. I worked with my parents growing up and that was before labor laws. 
but um, they always like, really? And they're like, yeah. So I know what it's like to work hard. I know what it's like to work long, long days. And I, I know how hard it is to buy a home. And so then, you know, we usually have a really good, meaningful conversation after that. They tell me their story. And I just, you know, I feel better after I've talked to them because I know that we're very similar, but some people just So these voters Nikki Torres is describing, you might characterize them as persuadable. They seem thoughtful and nuanced. They might be voting on issues, not political party. So uh, remember in the last episode when I kind of characterized 18-year-old Yakima resident Jordan Chavez that way? Basically as left-wing, but persuadable? I might have been wrong about that. And I just saw that like a bunch of like news articles were like, supposed red wave did not actually like hit and I, all right, well then, I'm feeling pretty good right now. <laughs> in the last episode, in case you didn't hear it, we spent a lot of time with Jordan, a very politically engaged high school grad who grew up in a politically diverse community. And we talked about all the factors he was considering as he voted for the first time. But yeah, Jordan's election night, it turns out, left him feeling all right. He told me he was doing schoolwork in a University of Washington student lounge with his roommate, and the TV was on. So I would just do work, glance, look at it, Notice that not nearly as many Republicans were winning as uh, was saying was happened. So I was just pretty, pretty content. And then I think I just waited for Washington's to come out. I, I basically knew that uh, Tiffany Smiley was not going to win <laughs> Washington. And yeah. It was going to be Patty Murray. And so then I was just like, I was just like, I'll like, I'll look at it to see it and confirm it with my own eyes. And then we saw it. And then I was like, all right, I'm going to like start getting ready for bed. <laughs> Granted, Jordan has recently moved from Yakima to Seattle, where he spent a couple months steeped in a completely different political environment, a college campus. I don't think I've had a conversation with somebody who's, who's been right-leaning or conservative like this entire time I've been here. He loves it. Everybody here is left-wing or like extremely progressive. And it's just like, it's completely different from what uh, Yakima is, where it's like, it's like everybody Maybe, like, there's different ways to get to the goal, but it's still, like, the same time, it's, like, everybody wants equality for for all, like, no more racism, no more homophobia, like, uh, affordable housing, like, a better health care system. It's just, like, it's, it's kind of, like, refreshing. Still, he says, being in a politically diverse environment did have its upsides. Here, definitely, my ideas have, like, 99% of the time are agreed upon. Um, and Yakima, they were being challenged. And that's what, like, made me a better, like, arguer, if that makes sense. Like, I I was able to discuss better about my topics because I had, like, people actively opposing my ideas. Remember how much we leaned on Jordan in the last episode to give us his thoughts on the Congressional District 4 race? And in central Washington's 4th District, Representative Dan Newhouse. The one that came down to Republican incumbent Dan Newhouse and challenger Doug White, a Democrat? Unsurprisingly... Representative Newhouse easily won re-election in District 4 by 36 percentage points. And after all the time we'd spent talking with Jordan about Dan Newhouse, about what he was thinking about that specific race, what he said about who he voted for when I finally asked him surprised me. I voted for Doug White, but I was not at all unhappy that Dan Newhouse won. Doug White was just, I just wanted some new blood in, in the system. And so like I voted him for him regardless. Uh, because I just like, I think it, America needs to become more progressive. So I voted for him. I knew, 
I like there was a it, it's Southeast Washington. I knew Dan Hughhouse was gonna win. So like I didn't really get my hopes up. And I'm not saying Jordan misrepresented his feelings about Dan Newhouse. He's still cool with him. With Dan, it's just like I like I was not sad. <laughs> like I found out he was. Like I was like expecting it. Like I was fine with it. He's just really not that cool with Republicans. It didn't really matter to me that he was like a Republican because he still like at the end of the day, I knew he didn't like blindly support Republicans and he still had his own personal beliefs. So, yeah, maybe moving to Seattle has helped Jordan stretch out a little, feel a little more politically at home. Conservatism is like in my in my like mind and how I interpret it. It's just it looks like we're constantly going backwards if we want to keep tradition and keep the things way the way they are. and so. Being progressive and constantly changing, constantly implementing new things and constantly just being new, that's what like that's what I think a government should be. And it has only deepened his love of politics. I am pretty like stuck on the politics. I am going to do poli-sci and everything, but I'm deciding what if I want to double major in something else. Maybe he'll work on a campaign someday. Like I was I was thinking about working in a campaign, but it's like depending on the position, you don't get paid as much. So like I want a mm. job that like is able to sustain me. So or maybe like, he'll become a lobbyist. Uh, another thing I was looking at was like lobbying and becoming a lobbyist. But so far, one thing it seems he doesn't want to do, move back to Yakima. Oh yeah, no, it's like, this is like the best. I actually, I really love Seattle. I'm like really loving it here. Like I would not go back to Yakima willingly unless like I had to go for vacation, which I am excited to go back for Thanksgiving. I like it here. And like I'm adjusting very like, like I don't think I felt homesick this entire time. <laughs> and my mom was nice. telling me that like, oh, you're going to feel homesick as much as you say you don't. And I was like, oh, like I'll miss you guys. We, however, over at Crosscut Reports, we are going back to Yakima. And so, yeah, so uh, so this is Yakima Avenue. We're probably technically... We'll be checking in on the lawsuits that continue to push the region toward a political reckoning. You know, here's a group of Latinos kind of like saying, hey, hey, we have a civil rights claim over here that, you know, doesn't fit into what either the Democrats or the Republicans want to do. We'll be digging a bit deeper into the changes over the decades that have made this issue what it is today. All that and more on a future episode of Crosscut Reports. Thanks for listening to Crosscut Reports. This episode was reported by Mai Huang and produced by me, Sarah Bernard. Our story editor and executive producer is Mark Baumgarten. Also, a big thanks to Leticia Mares, who helped with translations while we were out door knocking with Dulce Gutierrez. And thanks to TJ Molinax, who took photos for this story. To see those images, follow the link in the show notes. Or you can go to crosscut.com podcasts and click on Crosscut Reports. You can subscribe to Crosscut Reports wherever you listen. And whatever platform you're listening on, please review us. We'd love to know what you think of the show. Also, if you'd like to support the work we do at CrossCut, whether it's our lineup of podcasts, the live events we host every month, or the in-depth reporting we deliver every day, go to crosscut.com membership. In addition to supporting our journalism, members receive complete access to the on-demand programming of Seattle's PBS station, KCTS 9. For the latest political, environmental, and culture news from the Pacific Northwest, visit crosscut.com. CrossCut Reports is a product of Cascade Public Media 
I'm Sarah Bernard. We'll be back soon with another episode.